the cup and the leaf all to be one. Everyone knows there's a job to be done and with a team so fine. I'm proud of mine. We'll be singing the song. Athletic Former Players Association podcast is sponsored by Starna Apparel. Affordable and stylish clothing born on the terraces. Listeners of this podcast can get 10% off their order by using code PODCAST at the checkout. Just head to www.starnaapparel.co.uk. Welcome to a journey down memory lane that's sure to ignite your passion for the club we all adore. This is Walking Down the Holbeath Road podcast that reunites us with the legends who once graced the pitch at East End Park. I'm your host, Mikey Mokkevich, and I invite you to lace up your virtual boots as we step onto the hallowed turf of Dunfermline Athletics history. This podcast is your ultimate destination for all things Dunfermline Athletic former players, and we'll be sitting down with the heroes who made our dreams come true, scored unforgettable goals, and carved their names into the hearts of PAR supporters. Each episode will deep dive into the stories that shaped their careers from the early days to the highs and lows of football. From promotion battles to cup triumphs, these players have witnessed it all, and now they're ready to share these memories and all the dressing room tales with you. In this episode, we catch up with former midfielder Billy Davis, who made over 100 appearances for the PARs during his three seasons at the club. Starting his playing career at Rangers, he would go on to have spells in Sweden and England before returning north to sign for Dunfermline in 1990. During his time at the club, he played under three different managers in three seasons and would play in the 1991 League Cup final against Hibernian. After his playing career, Billy carved out a successful management career, starting at Motherwell moving on to Preston, Derby County and Nottingham Forest. So sit back, relax as we walk down the Holbeef Road with Billy Davis. So Billy, thanks for joining us on the podcast. It's a pleasure to be in your company. How's, uh, how's life? Life's good, Mikey, and uh, I've got to say it's a, it's a real pleasure to sit down and talk to you about uh, what was a a really fun time when I look back at my, my time at Dunfermline and I'm looking forward to this. Good man, good man. Right, before we start, we're going to do five shoot style questions like the old magazine. Uh, so because this episode's going out in December, the first question, what's your favourite Christmas song? Well, I think uh, you can't talk about a favourite Christmas song, Mikey, unless you talk about Slade. Uh, and also, you know, the, the the other one I would say to you is the old Shaking Stevens. Um, Merry Christmas, everyone. I think these two, Merry Christmas, everybody. I think these two are the ones that get you up on onto the floor and get you moving at Christmas. Aye, right, old classics. <laughs> Brilliant. Who's your favourite current player in the game? Well, I've got to say there's obviously a whole range of people that you would look at, but the one that I think is popping out just now is the boy Martin Odegaard at Arsenal. I think he looks to be a right... Uh, top top player you've also got people like Rodri at Man City and Foden at Man City I think yeah. they look excellent players 
And of course, I don't think any team is is worth a mention without uh, Kevin De Bruyne. Brilliant, good uh, good choices there. You mentioned Phil Foden there. I just thought, I was reading yesterday he got signed at four years old for Man City. What's your thoughts on kids getting signed that young? Well, it's the way the game's going, Mikey. Now you know it's uh, the, the, obviously it's changing and. Because of all the academies and all the things that's going on at clubs, you can see that they're trying to bring people in as young as possible. And of course, we've now got the integration of the, the kind of away from school as well and combining the school along with the training and preparation. So it's just the way things, it's just the way the game's evolving, Mikey. We've just got to accept that's what's happening. No worries. Away from football, what's your, your hobbies? I love to golf, uh, I love to cycle. Um, Believe it or not, Mikey, I love to spend some time in the garden. Right. I'm a very keen gardener. Green fingers. Don't, don't know an awful lot about gardening, <laughs> but I like going in and mess around and do that. But I've got to say, probably my favourite is certainly uh, on that golf course. Popular option, to be fair, with footballers and uh, former uh, footballers. Yeah, eh? definitely, definitely. <laughs> What's your favourite holiday destination? Well, the one place I go uh, on a very regular basis, I, I, I like to go to Dubai. Right, nice. Guaranteed weather. It's been a lovely holiday resort for me and my family over the last number of years. And I've got to say, Mikey, we do thoroughly enjoy pinning ourselves to the beach, no moving for 14 days or whatever, and uh, coming back and uh, feeling refreshed and ready to go again. And now your kids are grown up, you can uh, do that now, you can relax by a beach. And <laughs> well, that's, that's it. The kids, the kids are up now, and uh, the only problem I would say to you, Mikey, is that the kids that have now grown up, Still want that trip to Dubai yeah. and they want it paid for, which <laughs> is even worse. <laughs> Brilliant. And if you'd not been a footballer, what do you think you would have done? Well, there's two things that I love. I love, I must admit, I do love uh, computers, IT, uh, graphic designs. I, 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 love, I love all that. Can I love spending time on a computer? Uh, self-taught, may I say. Um, I just, I, I, for a long time, I've been doing that along with my. Uh, video editing stuff which I also love to do and the other thing I love Mikey uh, again not very clever but love it as I love dealing with wood I love sawing and drilling right. and hammers and nails and that kind of thing I, I, I get a wee kick out of uh, things like that when I'm when I'm involved in dealing with the wood stuff so it's creativity really eh? yeah, love being yeah I think creative. so I think if it wasn't uh, any football then I would think that that's the kind of two areas that I would, I would probably go joinery and uh, yeah. and the kind of IT stuff talking about the video clips piece I remember actually watching a, a, a football focus piece on you I think you were at Forest maybe 10-15 years ago and you, you had a room in your house didn't you with the Apple Macs you used to do all the video editing and you were quite ahead of that weren't you I, yeah I was probably probably started it I was, I, was thinking, I was one of the few at that time I spent a lot of money uh, building my own kind of video analysis room and I've got to say Michael although you've got the, the, the guys in the club who do all the kind of video stuff I do like to do my own. I like to go back and spend the weekend looking at training, looking at games, even other teams. I look at other teams and I love to kind of break down set pieces, what kind of set pieces are getting done in the world and look at all, all different kind of shapes and patterns of games. So the video analysis, video editing stuff is something that I've got to say, even today I still, I still do it and I love it dealing. Brilliant, mate. Right, we're going to start your early life. So you're born in May 64 in Glasgow. So what was uh, growing up in Glasgow like for Billy Davis? Well, it was, uh, obviously, it was feet on the ground. It was a uh, very humble uh, upbringing. Uh, born in Govan, moved from Govan into Pollock. And uh, back then, Mikey, there was no hiding places, you know. It was, it was uh, pretty tough streets and a lot of discipline. Mm -hmm. 
but I've got to say, uh, I, I really do owe my parents a big thanks for the, the wonderful childhood that they gave me. Although we didn't have a lot, they worked very hard, both of them, and they gave me a very happy childhood. But it was, it was certainly very interesting growing up in the streets of Glasgow, as you can imagine. <laughs> Makes you who you are, though, eh? A lot of these guys, like Alex Ferguson, for example, he's governed background, he speaks about what he learned in that early, early life like he put into his later life, didn't he? Well, I think it does help you, you know, and there's no doubt that when you look at your upbringing, then you were, you were taught a hell of a lot of things. You're, you're, taught, you're, you're taught how to be humble, which is a, a, a very important trait in this world, no matter what you do or where you go. You never forget where you came from, you never forget, you know, I can remember, Mikey, getting uh, back to these days and your mother and father fighting like dogs trying to pay light bills and, and uh, but, but what they done is they clubbed together, they worked very hard, they gave their children happy times and gave them everything they could and I think that's a great education, certainly for me, it certainly played a huge part on who I am today. And what's your memories of, of football growing up? <laughs> Well, very interestingly, obviously, uh, started very early and joined a, a boys club called Pollock United Boys Club. I spent a good number of years there and played with a lot of great people at that club and uh, was then picked up by Manchester United. When I was involved in Pollock, uh, I was very kindly asked to go down to Manchester. There was a number of other clubs that were chasing my signature and uh, I eventually from Paul United, went on and signed a five-year contract with Manchester United. Took a bit of homesick, unfortunately, Mikey, but uh, uh, had a great time at Manchester with Dave Sexton. Went down many, many visits, went across to Switzerland in a youth tournament with Mark Hughes and Norman Whiteside and uh, Stephen Pears, the goalkeeper, and all these other, Clayton Blackmores, all these guys were on that trip. And I've got to say, it was a real great time but unfortunately when you take that homesickness as a young player I eventually come back and signed a five year contract with Rangers and uh, the rest is history Going back to the Man United thing what, what was it like the Cliff training ground it's quite iconic down in Manchester it must have been an amazing experience as a kid going down there It certainly was you get into that Cliff training ground and I remember and don't forget back then uh, in, in the 70s you know it was all the Martin Buckins and Gordon McQueen's and all these guys it was you know it was a real real quality quality side uh, with, 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 you know with, with quality players and uh, the cliff was interesting I remember sitting at lunch and breakfast and uh, the famous thing was obviously the milk machine that they had I remember the big milk machine that everybody would go towards and uh, sitting there actually sitting in the same room with first team players you would see these big stars coming in and you're just a young boy at that time and you're in there training with them training beside them and watching them working and then of course uh, a very 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 good guy Dave Sexton a wonderful gentleman Dave Sexton uh, the way that he coached the way that he would give time to young players it was a, it was a real education making it was a real pleasure and a real privilege to be to be down at the cliff and of course uh, being, being in amongst that whole environment was first class Brilliant mate and then you mentioned that 1981 you joined Glasgow Rangers who your your boyhood team was so what was that like joining your your heroes really? Well I've got to say Mikey at, at that time coming back from Manchester uh, and you take that homesickness and then of course 
your, your supported team come. My dad was a big Rangers fan. He went to a lot of the games and of course when Rangers come in uh, straight away you think to yourself this is a good opportunity. And I signed a five-year contract and uh, it was actually John Gregg and Tommy McLean that I joined. John Gregg was a was a, a real, real good guy as well. We Tommy was very clever tactically and very clever in the game but as a young player again you join a very disciplined place I remember running up and down the stairs I remember running up and down the sand dunes at Galen in the training ground we Doddy McDonald Alan McDonald every morning he would come into the training ground and I'd be standing and he would rub his studs down the back of my legs and he would kind of have a go at me and say come on then you want to take me on kind of thing so there was all that kind of you know, with the experienced players like the Peter McCloys, the Ali McDonalds, the Tommy McLeans, the Alec Millers, the Colin Jacksons, Derek Johnsons. Legends are Rangers. Legends are eh? Rangers. Just don't forget, a year or two earlier, they just won the, the 77 European trophy. So to get in there again with that, that experience, and again, you know, the Bobby Russells and the Davy Coopers and the John McDonalds, uh, it was it was a real education, but more importantly, Mikey, I would say, very disciplined, mm-hmm. real discipline, and uh, that's the one thing that, that Rangers taught me. Yeah, more about your duties as a an apprentice or a young player. What were you what were you tasked to do around the stadium? Well, uh, today we would be hung, drawn, and quartered for what we done back then, <laughs> <laughs> because you were washing cars, you were cleaning boots, you were brushing terraces, you were cleaning snow, and you done all these things as well as obviously trying to trying to make your way in football. But uh, that was just part and parcel of things back in the early, or sorry, the late 70s, early 80s. Uh, because when I joined, I just joined before my 16th birthday, believe it or not. Uh, I actually made my debut uh, in a Canadian tournament, the Red League tournament uh, against Ascoli of Italy. And that was just before my 16th birthday, which was a, a great experience. But when you start going into the pre-season, I remember running around Bella Houston. Mm-hmm. I can tell you the runs that we done, Mikey, because I can remember them dearly. Uh, and uh, it was a great education as, as a young player. Yeah, and I've got here at 17 years, 115 days, you made a, your competitive debut against Brecon. Yes. September 81. So what's your memories of, of that one? At 17 year old. Well, don't forget back then, and, I, and I, I, I've got to honestly say to you, they were tough games, Mikey. Yeah. They were tough players. And it didn't matter whether it was Brecon or whether it was any other club. Back then, it was, you know, even ju- even junior size. I remember playing some pre-season games against, for example, Benburb Juniors. They're good players, Mikey. Mm-hmm. You know, they were real good players and tough players. So the Brecon experience, uh, you're, you're thrown in there. It's a thousand miles an hour. There's tackles flying everywhere. <laughs> and... Uh, all of a sudden there's a ball playing midfield play you soon realise I need to find more to my armoury because this is tough tough times well, you spent six years at Ibrox but it was quite frustrating for you wasn't it you, you didn't play a lot I think you made 23 appearances over six seasons so was that frustrating yeah it was very frustrating obviously but uh, you know certainly when I joined I joined with, with John Gregg and um, that was in I think around about 79, 80 signed that five year contract uh, and then in came Jock Wallace Jock was a different type of manager, a real disciplinarian jock. And you find yourself at these big clubs, very difficult to break in. Um, and then, of course, Graham Soonis came in with, uh, with all the kind of big name English guys. And it became very difficult. I found myself 
really needing to move, Mikey. Mm-hmm. I was never going to get a run of games or get that opportunity to build confidence, uh, to feel relaxed, because you're always thrown in away at breaking where you need to obviously play. And then you're taken back out again, and you're put back in, and you're taken back out. So I think for any young player, I think consistency, confidence, and uh, feeling part of it is the key. And unfortunately, I never got that. What did you learn in those early days, especially from the likes of John Greggs and maybe a Jock Wallace? What? And obviously, you moved into management later on. So was there anything you kind of picked up in in those days that you then? Well, Greggy was a it was a de- very difficult one. Now, now looking back at it, at the time, you, you don't realise uh, Greggy was going in, uh, really going in beside all these his teammates, if you like, because he took over very early, and then Greggy went in there with Tommy McLean uh, and Joe Mason, Stan Anderson, people like that, excellent coaches. But Greggy was kind of chipped in, I think, first class guy, a real winner, obviously, uh, good man manager. And uh, unfortunately, it may, it may have just been the wrong time for John Gregg uh, because obviously going in beside players who just recently were his teammates. Must be quite difficult that if you have to discipline one of these guys, eh? And they, 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 you, they were your teammate five minutes ago and now you're the manager. Very difficult. And it's a, it's a very difficult task and particularly at a club like Rangers where, you know, you've really got to get in there and be very strong and very disciplined so again without really knowing the, the, the background or details Mikey as a young player then you just go on with your job and you don't know this is a this is a legend who's now the manager and you, and you just go into training every day and work with the players and do what you can but as you get older you soon realise the difficulty that John Gregg had getting in there as a a, a former player just playing with all these guys and all of a sudden chipped into that manager seat Jock was slightly different, Jock Wallace. He was a, a real experienced disciplinarian. You know, he's he's one that led by the iron fist. And uh, he certainly was one that when you're walking along the corridors, you make sure you walk, you walk out the way. <laughs> and, uh, you know, he's a, he a lovely guy beside him called Alec Totten. Uh, Totch was a very nice man. Uh, another one that was... Uh, good personality and good man manager but uh, a different type and then of course Graham Soonis um, Graham was coming in again player manager um, a very fierce character but he had big plans obviously they were going to shake up the club they were going to bring them the Mark Hatleys and all these guys uh, and uh, they were going down a different road How do you think they guys would manage in the game today? Well I'm sure they would agree that uh, they wouldn't go away with half of them. <laughs> I think they might struggle half a little bit. Half of them went away with back then. It was a different, it was a different approach. And um, I got to say, Mikey, they they would be the first to admit that this is a whole new ball game here. Definitely. There's too many cameras on you now, and uh, too many angles. Can't get away with anything. Absolutely. So after you leave Rangers, you have a wee spell in Sweden. So how how did a, a Scottish boy end up in Sweden? Well, it's very interesting. Uh, I was contacted by a guy called Ian McNeil, ex Spurs. Uh, guy and uh, it was Ian who had a contact in Sweden and he asked me uh, would I be keen on going out to Scandinavia to play and that's kind of how it came about before I knew it I was on the flight uh, very naively going across to Swedish football knew nothing about it knew nothing about the weather Uh, within a month I found myself not just in inches of snow but feet 
sometimes metres of snow. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, Mikey, being five foot six, you know, it's difficult sometimes to look over the snow, unlike yourself, a big six foot five character. So I've got to say, it was uh, it was a whole new experience. But again, uh, went to school every day to learn the language. Great to understand a different culture. Training was different. Preparation was different. Uh, it was a whole new ball game as a, again a young player, but. I thoroughly enjoyed my time over in Sweden and eventually got transferred from a team called Jön Shopping to EF Elvesburg in the Premier League. And uh, it was a great experience. It was it was good to learn the language. It was good to understand the culture. It was good to recognise, you know, pre-season and, and training, running through snow and some of the things that they'd done, Mikey. It was just, some of the things, it was just incredible. But... It was a great education again, part yeah. of your, if you like. That's experience. Like experience eh? I, I, yeah, I think every player, if they get the opportunity, should try and play abroad at least once because it does open your eyes and it does give you that uh, good experience. What was the quality of football like? Well, back then it was part-time. But it was interesting because what happened is these guys chose not to be full-time footballers. They were actually very interested in their work which finished at four o'clock so they got up very early they went to their work at four o'clock uh, and then I think they started around about 5.36 Mikey and then come in and they actually believe it or not we trained full time so it wasn't twice a week these guys were full time footballers at night and but they didn't want to give up their jobs and very cleverly made a decision that they wanted to keep their day job keep mm-hmm. their work going and then come in I think it may have been I don't know four, five, six times a week Mikey fair play and yeah. they trained believe me they trained probably and you know yourself the Scandinavians are super fit so they didn't mess around they were super fit boys uh, very very aggressive very strong and uh, back then I was fortunate enough to play in the same league I don't know if you remember the great Gothenburg side being Dundee United in the of European course. 1987 that's the one yep. yeah and then you had Roy Hodgson who was manager of I think it was Malmo Malmo yeah Roy Hodgson yeah, was there right. and a guy called Anders Limpar that played with Arsenal yeah had many battles with him so I've got to say that, you know Swedish football back then was, was like uh, kind of developing if you like mm-hmm. but to give them credit Mikey they chose their best option was to keep the day job, go to their work and have that that uh, that trade behind them, and then of course become these full time footballers on the which yeah. worked very well. I take it that model's changed now in Swedish football. Yes, it's more full, just full time. More full time football. It's a different, <clears throat> as, as you know, it's a whole different ball game now. And uh, but but don't be kidded. Malmo back then were a really good side. Gothenburg back then were a yeah. really good side. Well, they went far in European competitions, exactly, didn't they? Exactly. Exactly. Brilliant. And then you get the chance to move back to Scotland. You come to St Mirren. So what was your wee spell at St Mirren like? I've got to say I had a, a very happy time at St Mirren. Uh, I come back and uh, it was Alex Smith that, that signed me. Um, a very nice Alex Smith. Uh, a real gentleman type character and uh, a good man manager. And I, 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 had a, I had a very enjoyable time at St Mirren. They, they had a fun dressing room. Eventually, Tony Fitzpatrick and Frank McGarvey took over from Alec. I've got to say I had a real successful period under, under Tony and a real good time at St Mirren. Uh, Tony played me in a very offensive position, like me get forward and like that play and do do what I do best. But uh, St Mirren was very successful, very happy. And of course, of course, uh, scoring the goal of the season at Ibrox uh, for St Mirren 
we had a nice wee 25 30 yarder uh, was an added bonus have you got that one on tape oh of course we have Mikey absolutely Superb. I make the family watch it every single day and uh, they've no stopped watching it over the last 10 years I keep reminding them <laughs> these two boys of mine Mikey you know it's not like nowadays like you can obviously all the footage is online and you can get clips no problem but back then if it wasn't on sports scene or Scott Sport, it'd been quite difficult to, exactly. to see footage. Eh? Exactly, you need to go into these, as you know, go into these archives. But uh, no, it was it was certainly again uh, looking back, some some excellent players in the St Mirren side, and a very good side and uh, a real good bit of team spirit, which obviously took us through. Brilliant. And then Leicester City comes calling, so you moved down there for two hundred grand. I've got, which is a lot of money back then. Yeah. So how did that come about? Well, again, you know. Uh, having a, a very successful time at St Man, a very enjoyable time out of the blue I was contacted by David Pleat and uh, David took me down to Leicester City um, a real real quality tactician a real thinker of the game David Pleat a real you know imagination was first class some of the things that he'd done in training some of his preparation and uh, the people that he had there but unfortunately Mikey uh, from I think the first week my wife was taken into hospital she had I think in the end she had something like 13 threatened miscarriages <sighs> we lived in this hotel I, I could never settle she could never settle uh, it was not a football problem uh, I just couldn't settle I could, it was too busy running up to the hospital we're too busy you know dealing with all these threatened miscarriages uh, and very fortunately eventually my, my oldest son was born uh, and thankfully that, that all went through well but it came to a point where she said to me I want to go back mm-hmm. I'm not settled here I'm not happy I've been through too much and unfortunately Leicester City ended up being a very short stay uh, nothing to do with Leicester it was a great club training ground was first class David Plate was excellent the club was excellent and eventually when I informed them that my wife was desperate to get back because of the trouble she went through I think Leicester City then put it out there that we were interesting back to Scotland and then came the pars yeah that's when your career really took off <laughs> my life my wife in five <laughs> superb so in uh, October 1990 for a fee of 165 grand it's again a lot of money especially for a club like Fairland absolutely you come up the road yeah absolutely Ian, Ian Monroe and Phil Bonneman uh, were the managers at that point um, and uh, many came in and managed to convince me to go and join the club um, I've got to say looking at the dressing room there was, there was a great dressing room full of great players very difficult period as you know and um, the, the start of it was difficult for me Mikey because I respect every manager and every manager's got his own thoughts but I've got to say uh, I didn't enjoy the sitting midfield role uh, not to go over the halfway line I've got to say and I don't want to be too critical this is you know this was just the manager's choice he felt I was a playmaker um, I felt that my strength was in the final third or middle two uh, towards the, the opposition goal and uh, I never really I never get started really at Dunfermline in the first season you know I never I never really got any of the positions that I would like uh, the, the, the the things that I could create, the chances that I could create, the goals that I could possibly score. And uh, it was a very strict position that I was in. But at the end of the day, I respect the manager. I tried to do it the best I could. And uh, ultimately, I don't think it was uh, the type of start that I would have liked to have had. 
that that you kind of mentioned that you touched on it. That whole first season was frustrating. I think there'd been a lot of unsettlement with the whole Leishman thing just before you come in. So was that kind of still around the dressing room? That whole so was, there was all that chat. There was a lot of players who were. Leishman players and then there was Munro players there was a bit of a divide so was that kind of there when you went in? Well to be honest it was, it's always difficult uh, you know when you when you go to a new club and there's a number of new players coming in you know they call it the Ian Munro men and then of course you've got the Jim Leishman men it was never like that you know if you look at if you look at the players back then there was a lot of fantastic players right through the side here Jim Leishman signings but there's also a lot of excellent players coming from Ian Monroe who brought in some, I think, brought in some very good talent. But it, it just, it, it was just, it needed time to gel, Mikey. Yeah. And uh, it needed time to, to, if you like, hit the ground running and go. And we never really got that, Just we, we just stumbled through it, whether it was because of this perception of a divide or the, the split. But certainly, the camaraderie in the dressing room and the players that were in there, and I can name you, a lot of big characters, eh? A lot of big characters, all the way through from Ian Westwater, Andy Rhodes, all the way through. Young John Hillcott, young goalkeeper. Fantastic fun with him, Hilly. I see him from time to time at games. You then look at the the absolute head case, Raymond Sharp. <laughs> Sharpie was off his head completely. Uh, and then you did kind of a Eddie Cunningtons and uh, the Rab Shannons, the Jackie McNamara's. Then, of course, I used to call him Capitano and sadly we lost him Nonny McCarthy Big Davey Moyes all the way through Ray Farlingham Craig Robertson Davey Irons and of course Ian McCalls and the Derry McWilliams and the strikers that this club had over the years Mikey I've got to say and I sat and took down some notes last night about these strikers the Georgia Boyles the Amy's Frenchies the big evil Den Beemans remember yeah, that of course uh, Roddy Grants Sandy Clark was, was there for a short time and I joined Eddie Gallagher's, Paul Chalmers, Ian McParlins, and of course, uh, the absolute, finally, this man Cosmo. So, you look at that, Mike, and you think to yourself, wow, some great players in it. What was Cosmo like? He's a quiet lad, this man. Very quiet, very talented. Uh, no doubt he was very talented, but he was a very quiet boy. I remember him, extremely quiet. But uh, nice man, very nice man. But certainly just went about his business, business quietly. Uh, but certainly was a, a an absolute excellent talent. Yeah, he's a proper club legend, isn't he? Absolutely. Do you remember your, your debut for Dolphin? Remind me, Mikey, remind me. 3rd of November uh-huh. against Hearts in a 1-1 draw. No memories of that one now. Well, what I can remember is I can remember Hearts at that time. Hearts were a very good side back then. If you look at their team in paper, then they had a lot of great players and a very strong team. Uh, very very hard working team full of quality uh, was it 1-1 one, 1-1 one? One, one, yeah, yeah a real, and, and to go there and to pick up that point against a, a very strong Hearts you actually got your first goal against Hearts as well for the fair one which was in February 92 well some people say that I died for the free kick Mikey but I don't, <laughs> I'm not buying that it certainly wasn't a dive you must have been allowed past the halfway <laughs> line at that point listen at that point I was in the halfway line uh, <laughs> there's absolutely no doubt that, uh, that I went from that kind of, I tried to go from that playmaking sitting midfield player to a kind of more offensive player and uh, I remember putting that ball down and Big Moyes wanted to take the free kick I told him to go and do one uh, <laughs> and try to wind me up but no I think was that a free kick Mikey I think, I think it was a free, free kick, kick. Yeah. Yeah. yeah free kick into the top left hand corner I think and uh, 
I was delighted to get that goal. You mentioned him there, Davy Moyes, another big character from that, that time. What was he like as a, as a player? Did you know he was going to move into that kind of coaching? He was always position? moving into that because at that point, uh, Moyes was always travelling back forward to England. Uh, going into coaching courses and, and things like that but when you, as, as you said we talked about it earlier the amount of these players in that, in that squad they went into football management I was just going to touch on that it's quite scary actually and Big Moisey was one of them uh, I've got to say just let me touch on the travelling back forward to the west of Scotland Mikey <laughs> because I need, to, I need to tell you it wasn't a dull moment when you were travelling with Tommy Wilson Eddie Cunnington John Hillcott, David Moyes, Scott Leach, Ian McCall, Eddie Gallagher, and then Paul Chalmers. The fun that we had travelling back and forward, picking different cars, stopping halfway through there. It was like they were they were great boys, and you look at in there, the amount of people in the coaching is quite remarkable. Ah, it's quite scary. I was looking at that. So you've got guys like Neil Cooper, yourself, David Moyes, Ian McCall, Tommy Wilson, Scott Leach, Jackie Mack, all moved into management or coaching just from that one dressing room but you see the one thing you did know and, and even playing in that training in that team they were all sponges they were all thinkers you know they were they, they, they were more importantly they were all strong personalities in that Mikey in that dressing room believe me we, and, and then you look at the the Craig Robertsons and the Norrie McCarthy's and as you said Rab Shannon Rab's frightened me every single day he came into that training <laughs> <laughs> the tough tackling Rab Shannon but great lad fantastic boy and of course the, the kind of unsung heroes as you mentioned Big Tatty Cooper very sad as well that we lost him but a real comedian every single morning and then you, you had the kind of unsung heroes Ray Farlinghams and Craig Robertson's Davey Irons uh, Paul Smith he's a smudger another one excellent attitude uh, very capable of scoring goals and um, you look at these players you think to yourself real real quality uh, quality players Hamish Frenchies and the George we George O'Boyle what's your memories of George? ah he was he was a typical uh, from that background he could handle himself George and uh, he was never the quietest guy in the, in the dressing room <laughs> and he always had something to say but another one good personality yeah. good fun they had bad injuries didn't they bad injuries but an excellent striker but, but likewise you say you know Roddy Grants and so Ross Jack was was, was somebody that led the line brilliantly and um, along with Espan Cosma and people like that was real quality players brilliant mate I wanted to touch on October 91 so the Pars got to the League Cup final that year so first the semi-final against Airdrie there was a bit of a dubious decision that went in our favour and it went to penalties and then we get to the final against Hibs so what's your memories of the semi-final and then the Hibs game? Well building up remember I think we, we had a penalty shootout against St Mirren I think early on we'd won a, a penalty shootout against St Mirren uh, we then went into this semi-final against like, a very strong early side as well good good quality good experience and then, as you said uh, we probably on the day probably already deserved to go through because mm-hmm. they were a better side but we got that late goal and then went into that kind of penalty shootout. Very disappointed before that, I think before the game, Ian Monroe was sacked, if I remember right. Yeah, Jockey Scott came in. Big Jockey came in, yeah. uh, that's right, and we'll, we'll talk about Jockey, but very disappointed to lose or to see Ian go because he was, you know, he's, he's he was real, a real determination to do well and was always a real thinker of, of the game. But unfortunately, that's football and it was sad to see Ian go before the match and then we get into this penalty shootout 
and I'll never forget that big McCarthy scoring that final penalty. Did, yeah. And if I remember right, Mikey, I'm sure we all ran to the side, I'm sure we ran to the, the pass fans just down behind the goal. Yeah. And I remember celebrating down there with, with Nori and all the rest of the team. And it was absolutely fantastic. The celebrations and, you know, the pass fans were going crazy. And... Uh, very fortunate but absolutely delighted to get to the final it must have been a big relief because the league campaign wasn't going great but obviously getting to a cup final well it was obviously that can always help because uh, as you said we were very inconsistent in the league campaign but we certainly uh, went through and come up against as I said I think Hallow St Mirren if I remember right difficult games uh, St Mirren game was a penalty shootout uh, then of course up against this strong Airdrie side and then uh, that celebration, that penalty, never forget it. Goalkeeper's bottom right hand corner. I chased after the big so and so, uh, and <laughs> we certainly, we certainly had a, a great time in the dressing room after that game, Brilliant. celebrating. And of course, Hibs in the final, um, which we'll obviously want to talk about. Yeah, was that a big disappointment? That. Well, I've got to say, you look at the team on paper, uh, and when you get to finals, it's all about turning up on the day, and it's all about getting the brakes and getting that little bit of lady luck on your way we just didn't turn up Mikey we didn't play to our potential because if you look at the team uh, I remember right Andy Rhodes in goal a back four of Tommy Wilson Dory McCarthy Davey Moyes and Raymond Sharp uh, Derry McWilliams Craig Robertson myself and young boy called Sinclair and then up top Isman Cosman and Scott Leach and then of course we brought on a very talented, I think I remember, brought on Collie, Ian McCall. Ian McCall came on, yeah. Very talented player. That that team was more than capable. What a great team, eh? Good team. But that's no disrespect. Hibs also had a very good side. They were riddled with good quality, good players. And uh, unfortunately on the day, we just didn't perform to our, our potential. And uh, we just, it just wasn't our day. Disappointing, eh? The following season, though, 92-93 was your best at the club. So you played 39 games that season, scored 10 and scooped up a, a fair few Player of the Year trophies. So what, what was that season like for you? Well, more offensive. I know, and, and again... Proved, obviously. Uh, no disrespect. As I said, every manager I played under has had their own opinions and he tried to do the best he can. But I see, I, I see myself... I've always seen myself as an attacking midfield player. There's no doubt that I could play as a playmaker and I can link back to front but I always felt that uh, middle to front was my best strength um, I'd probably say to you that's why I, I eventually moved on to Mullow, uh and played some of my best football because Tommy certainly put me in more offensive positions but uh, that season with Dunfermline uh, I remember it again we played a lot of good stuff I enjoyed the role that I was playing in I felt happy and comfortable and I contributed to, um, as you said, a number of goals, which was great. And then the following season after that, Jockey Scott leaves, Burton Dick come in, and you barely play that season. So what, what was that like for you? Was it injuries or was it just frustrating trying to get into the team? Well, no, I, there was all sorts of things taking place. Obviously, I, I remember Bert, Burton Dick Campbell coming away. I think Dick's brother was there as well, if I remember yeah, right. Pink. Pink was there, yes. Yeah. Two, two real characters, both of them. And Bert was just a lovely man. And uh, to be fair to Bert, Bert made it clear that uh, he, as, as, he, as he said at the time, uh, they had to get some players out because of wages, because of money. And uh, there was all sorts of things. Just that, you know, He was building his own team. Obviously, I was one of the players that was 
they were looking to move out. And uh, the only thing I would say that uh, I think it could have been handled better, uh, the exit, I think that could have been handled better, but I understood the financial position of the club. I uh, had nothing but respect for Bert Payton and Dick Campbell and Pink. They had their own agenda and they had to do what they had to do. Yeah, it was so quite it was, tough behind the scenes financially, wasn't yeah, it? It was understandable. As I say, it's, only when you get into coaching and management do you realise at the time you curse these managers and coaches. And I can say that about all the team, but when you get into coaching and management, you soon realise there's more to it than meets the eye and you soon realise uh, there's, there's a lot of things that, that these guys... Uh, I'm not in control of and that's why you sit back you look back and you think oh my god I apologise to some of you guys because yeah. I never realised how difficult it was for you but no I totally understand uh, it worked too good for them because they went on and done very well it worked out good for me because I joined the Murrow side that was a fantastic side to play in and we gave a, the old firm a good run for the money yeah. and I thoroughly enjoyed my time there Brilliant. Before we, we touch on Motherwell, you played your last game in a 6 0 win against Queen of the South in October '93. And you mentioned it earlier, the car school coming from oh, from the west. Don't go is there, Mikey. It, please. Is there any funny stories from the dressing room or the car car what, school? Mikey, what what I can say to you, and honestly, I'm I'm just going to I'm, I'm going to read some of these names because I could tell you a story. See, Andy Rhodes, Andy Rhodes. I used to give Andy Rhodes stick because big Rhodesy was the first one before mobile phones came out to have the biggest mobile phone in the world, right? <laughs> and funny enough, Mikey, I met Andy Rhodes about five weeks ago at Blackpool watching his boy, and his boy scored the goal, him and his wife were there, and uh, I met Big Andy. And I apologised to Andy, because we used to rip Big Rhodesy to shreds, because back then we called him Billy Big Time. He actually wasn't Billy Big Time, he was miles ahead of the game. And I think the mobile phone at that point, Mikey, I'm not joking you, it, it must have been four sizes, the size of an of an iPhone. And uh, Big Roger was a, was a great lad, another one that was a great character. But Roger had that mobile phone and we used to have a lot of fun with the big man, uh, with him. But if you look at the squad and you talk about funny times, travelling back in that car with Moisey, and especially with Collie, Collie was off his head, Ian McCall, off his head. Eddie Gallagher completely off his rocker uh, Tommy Wilson and as I said John Hillcoat these guys Cham, Paul Chalmers we used to stop off a lot of time I'm not going to get any DD you see I'm trying to avoid your question yeah, right, that's fine we, we can do that off mate <laughs> I'm sorry yeah we certainly can but no I've got to say there was some real real sharpies I said to you earlier on in the dressing room every day you walked in the Norrie McCarthy's and the, the sharpies and you know Scott Leach was a real strong character as well and uh, John Riley John Riley don't tell me about John Riley he was a striker eh striker United boy aye. great lad a real, a real buzz bomb type character but but he was he was uh, he was great fun Big Roddy Grant was great fun but yeah listen no disrespect to so many names that I've missed out every single one of them gave me great memories even through the tough times they were great people they were great teammates and uh, we all learnt and looking back at it we would all have done things differently and we wish we could read on it again because, you know, there's certainly things that you would do that would make life easier and change them. <laughs> Who's the best player and the most underrated, would you say? I've never got the credit. <laughs> the best player? Uh, now, I've got, I've got to be careful here because I've been threatened. Right. I've been threatened by, by a guy from Trinent who's a real tough cookie. Uh, came up with the, 
the coal mining family and he's warned me Ian McParland has warned me if I don't say to you that he was the best player that played at Dunfermline <laughs> he's going to knock me out so I've got to say just to protect myself Mikey I would say to you that that Trinette half man called Ian McParland is the best player that i played with <laughs> so I just protect myself on that front uh, the underrated player uh, I think if he had more arrogance I think he had more belief in himself he was a quiet guy an absolute gem of a human being Hamish French I think Hamish French if he had the arrogance and more confidence and belief and wasn't as humble and wasn't as nice then there's absolutely no doubt that Hamish French was a real talent and uh, a real wonderful player that, that if he had a different personality and by the way Mikey that's no disrespect that's just looking at it now from a management point of view I would say to you that if Frenchy had that kind of different personality uh, ruthless and mm. horrible and nasty he's an absolute gentleman a first class man and that's probably what held him back I think from being a super talent because he was an extremely good player Brilliant who's your toughest opponent? Well I've got to say uh, many many tough ones uh, hard men type I've played against but the one that gave me the best education on movement on how he got on the ball how he lose markers uh, the way that he looked over his shoulders and took snapshots I would say to you that Ray Wilkins was a player that really taught me a lot when I played against him trying to mark him trying to match his runs the way that he would go and make space for other people and drag you out of areas I would say to you, Mikey, that I've played against a lot of really tough, tough characters uh, and difficult opponents, but from an education point of view, I would say to you that Ray Wilkins was a real, real top, top midfield player. And the way that he got on the ball and the space that he created and the way that he would change direction and just, just his general play, you can see why he played at the very top level. And that was at the end of his career, wasn't it? And that was at the end of his career. Uh, and that's what's interesting about it even at the end of his career Ray Wilkins very talented a fantastic brain real quality quality technique but it's just the way that he done it it's the way that he would leave me standing dead how I couldn't get, I wanted to get close to him I wanted to go and kick him sometimes Mikey and I couldn't get to him and just the way that he flicked things around corners and played things different sides switched a play and linked to play thanks for the education and uh, another one that we've sadly lost what's your memories of the old East End Park mate? Oh, the, the old uh, the steps old and the old track the, track, aye, the gravel track that track in the snow that's what I remember I remember running around the track at the snow doing some runs never forget it was absolutely terrible uh, obviously the atmosphere and the, the ground back then it was it was great that you know the the supporters were always up for every game and um, I've got to say that when you, when you sit down and you look at you look at um, the kind of characters back then, I'd like to mention one or two people that gave me great memories in the old Dunfermline Stadium. People like a very very enjoyable visual Pip Yates. Pip was a, a character, fun in games all the time. Uh, reserve coach Jimmy Thompson, a real nice man. Every time you worked with Jimmy, Jimmy was always super helpful. And then of course. 
the very funny Stuart Hogg for fitness coach turning coach yeah. Hoggy still in the goals you know <laughs> oh listen and still get the, the, the same hairdo he still get the same hairdo but Stuart Hogg was a great guy to work with and of course the famous very famous Joe Nelson uh, Joe was was a, a real character that helped you all the time and another one that was that was just constantly through thick and thin a real Dunfermline man yeah he was another one sadly missed uh, just final question on your time at the Pars you played under obviously three managers in three seasons so what was that like as a player dealing with that different approaches obviously different training different methods yeah it's a, it's a good question Mikey because you go in there and, and I work with Ian Monroe and Phil Bonneman uh, again Ian Monroe was a real thinker uh, another one that was was not afraid to try things in the training ground there was all all these training sessions were you can see there was thought in it and he had a, a good assistant in Phil Bonneman Phil was uh, kind of a players man if you like uh, a good communicator and uh, they done that uh, and again a good partnership you then move on to a real tough character in Jockey Scott Jockey was a real disciplinarian but Jockey was you know he's in your face he never missed you when you done something wrong but again he had a, what I felt was a wonderful training ground coach Gordon Wallace and Gordon uh, believe it or not Mikey I've got a lot of his training sessions sitting in my study in the house because a lot of his stuff that came from Jim McLean and Dundee United you can see why they were very successful uh, Gordon Wallace's training was excellent another man that was uh, very educational and uh, movements and runs and positions and then of course the very nice Bert Payne and the great fun Dick and Pink Campbell uh, two real characters that, that had that spirit to, to bring in laughter and do what they do and then of course uh, Bert uh, was a real gentleman and a, a real good man management but, but I, I never unfortunately working at that time we really never got to know each other there was, a, there was an agenda that was, that was there things had to be done it was time to move and uh, I never got a chance but every single one of them Mikey brought something different and all, all of their own strengths just like myself as a manager and yeah. any other coach you've got your strengths but you've also got your weaknesses yeah nah brilliant mate and then you leave in 94 Tommy McLean your former Rangers coach takes you to Motherwell so what was your spell like at Motherwell as a player very enjoyable uh, started off very difficult in there with with uh, had he not having not played much uh, again uh, a, a, a really good good dressing room and Tommy was was a great tactician very clever in the game uh, his sidekick he always stayed out the road of even in training games big Tom Forsyth he was always booting you <laughs> <laughs> he was threatening to kick you uh, but I've got to say uh, after settling down when I first joined the club. Uh, I then joined a great side a really good side full of good players and probably brought out the best in me I think uh, playing in that offensive area and I thoroughly enjoyed my time with Mother. Brilliant and then you decide you start moving into a youth coach position so by this point you're already thinking about moving into management in your next stage in the game Well what's interesting Mikey is that even in the, my early 20s I, I always had a love I can tell you I can show you the, the pre-seasons in 1970 and I can show you the pre-season runs and training sessions that I've done with John Gregg Jock Wallace and of course Graham Soonis I always took notes I always liked to go home and write things down and then in the mid-twenties 
Uh, it started off by somebody asking me to take a training session for a junior team, amateur team, boys club team, girls team. I even coached council teams. And I used to go out twice a week and do coaching. And I'd done it with all sorts of standards and all sorts of shapes and sizes. And I think that gave me great education. And then, of course, I joined Motherwell and I was asked to, to get involved in under-15s, under-18s and events, under-21s. Stevie Hamill, James McFadden, Stephen Pearson, young players that came through, worked with them. And then, of course, at 33, got the tap on the shoulder from John Boyle and asked to become the player manager at Motherwell, which was a very difficult decision. I was going to ask, what was that like being a player manager? It must be tricky, because you go back to the John Gregg thing earlier. One minute you're the teammate, and next minute you're the manager. So how did you cope with that? Well, I've got to say, the player management thing I was never keen on, because I didn't think you could do the two jobs. I think the jobs really need your full focus. You have to stand back and, and watch. It's always nice to have an experienced player in the middle of the pitch, being able to do that. So I decided, Mikey, and, and I do believe that I stopped playing too early, but when you get offered the Premier League job at 33, it's a difficult one to turn down. You go in there uh, and your eyes are wide shut. You do the things that you think you can do, but you really don't know, particularly off the pitch. You don't know the kind of ins and outs of what take, takes place, but the training sessions and the setup and the, the kind of uh, dealing with players, and at that point, again, I was working with some real characters and Andy Gorham's and the Jed Brannans and the Sean Teals and the John Spencers. and Well, they wanted to be the, th- the third force. John Boyle came in and, and that was his intention with Pat Nevin as a, as a player chief executive. And that was another whole new experience working with that situation. So, as I say, you go in there very naively and you try to do the best you can, but it, it was another great education, but certainly a very uh, tough time in relation to... Uh, taking over that as a young manager and really just le- learning the ropes but I, I enjoyed it, I thoroughly enjoyed it What did you learn the most in those early days? Well what I learned the most was that, uh, that there's a, a whole lot more off the pitch to this game than what people realise and uh, as, you, as you go through your management career you soon recognise uh, that, that football can be a very political place you've got to learn the, the politics and find out the politics very quickly and uh, it's, it's, they say it's a results-driven business, Mikey. It's not always the case. And not all managers get sacked because of results. And there's many, many things that take place in clubs. But as a young coach, I've got to say I thoroughly enjoyed and I do appreciate and respect getting the opportunity um, from Manal. But um, now that I'm a bit more experienced, looking back at it, you, you soon recognise there's a whole range of things that you should have and could have done but listen Mikey we all live and learn that's it and then after Motherwell you get the chance to go down to Preston uh, former Scotland manager Craig Brown takes you down so Craig Brown another guy we've sadly lost what's Craig like? well again it was a, it was a, right out of the blue where I, where I got uh, a call from Craig asking to go down to Preston North End uh, as a first team coach i just come out with the Motherwell experience uh, as he used to remind me every day Mikey and correct me if I'm wrong here but he used to tell me three World Cups two European Championships and I think it was something like 79 international matches yeah, something like that I think that's about right yeah. massive massive experience uh, thoroughly enjoyed my time with Craig he taught me an awful lot on and off the pitch what did you learn from him? 
he just, just he was he was a fantastic uh, people person. Not just with the players, but with staff. A very kind person. Uh, would would certainly look after everyone and make sure everybody's looked after. Uh, off the pitch, he he was so experienced that he just knew how to handle uh, all the aspects of football that he needed to handle. Very good with the press. Uh, very good uh, with the board and and. You know, off that pitch was was somebody that taught me an awful lot of, of things on on how he how he go about things and what he done. But he had his own personality, and that was just Craig, the nice man, the, the kind of great man manager, good man manager, very good people person, and uh, very thankful for the opportunity he gave me, and very sad to lose him. I, I'm guessing he was the type of guy the players would have loved him. Eh? Like not a lot of players would have gone against Craig Brown. No, because he was he was he was not confrontational. Uh, you know, he was he was a man that don't get me wrong. You know, he could certainly stand up for himself, Craig. And when he had to, he would do what he had to do. But in general, he was just a very nice man and and a non-confrontational guy that that would find ways to sort things out. And then Craig goes from Preston. You take over as manager. So what what was it like in those early days managing in England compared to Scotland, for example? Well, I remember going to Craig, Mikey, uh, I did want to leave with Craig and, and Craig approached the Preston board. I felt that Craig brought me in, it was only right for me to leave with Craig. I did try and leave. Uh, Craig said to me, believe it or not, uh, that he did approach the board, the board refused because there was a bit of player power at that time. I think the players wanted me uh, to, to step into this caretaker manager's role. So Craig went to the board, the board refused. And then eventually Craig sat me down and said to me, look, Billy, I've got a pension that can choke a horse. <laughs> You're a young man with a family. Uh, sit tight, and if you get offered the job, take the job, you've got my blessing. And that's how it came about, Mikey. And eventually, I went in as caretaker. Uh, I kept in touch with Craig, and Craig was guiding me nicely. And eventually became the manager of Preston, and uh, I thoroughly enjoyed that experience. It was a great time for you that at Preston, eh? You got the club... Was it in the playoffs? A two few playoffs. times, eh? Yeah, two playoffs, back to back. Took over the the the, the from Craig, obviously. Um, got a great response for the players. Got to two playoffs. Uh, an excellent, exciting, fantastic side. Riddle Bay experienced players. Riddle Bay, real talented players. And I, and I've got to say, the couple of years I had working with Craig, and then a couple of years I had as a manager, I had four fantastic, enjoyable years at Preston North End. Brilliant. It's a big club, eh? People probably didn't realise up here how big, like the history of Preston. People don't realise how big these clubs are. Uh, these clubs are, are, as you said, they've got that wonderful history. Uh, they've also got their, their own traditions. But they're huge clubs, huge training grounds, massive squads in the sense of of salaries and what they're paying, etc. And people in Scotland don't realise that, that these clubs are enormous clubs and there's plenty of them Mikey if you look in the championship yep. even League One have a look at League One at a minute the Ipswich Towns and the Sunderlands and I mean these are huge massive clubs well, huge maybe 30 grand a week oh, it's, these it's clubs. incredible incredible so uh, it is, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's an honour to manage them and you soon find out when you get in there you know you're getting the great Sir Tom Finney putting your face reminding you the Bobby Charlton's and the Craig Browns and the Davy Moyses, you're following some real big names and very successful people, and it's a great challenge. 
How did you find it in England? It's so so competitive. There's so many games. It's a Tuesday, Saturday, like every week. You're travelling all the time. How did you find that? Like travelling all over the country constantly. It's a, there's a lot of games, and it, you know, there's plenty three three matches a week, two matches a week. You get to the Christmas period, and it's just not Christmas and New Year's non-stop. It's a long, long season. Uh, there's lots of ups and lots of downs. You've got to accept. There's good runs and bad runs. But uh, it's a very competitive, probably the most competitive in the world, I would think, because of the the spend and the stadia and the training grounds and the depth of squads. You know, for example, at Preston, I think our wage bill was just over five million when we got to the final against West Ham. West Ham's wage bill was thirty-eight million. Yeah. So there's massive differences, Mikey, uh, but certainly. Huge clubs. We are Flow Digital Pharmacy and we are proud to sponsor the Walking Down the Holbeath Road podcast. Our easy to use app is a convenient way to access your NHS prescription medication and our team of trained pharmacists are helping thousands of people to access the support and medication they need. If you're registered with a GP who's based in England, you can use the Flow app to securely and conveniently send them NHS medication requests and arrange delivery to a location of your choice at a time that suits you. This means you can avoid the hassle of contacting your GP and making unnecessary round trips to eventually collect your prescription. Find out more at WeAreFlow, spelled P-H-L-O. That's WeAreFlow.com. You leave Preston, you go to Derby in 2006. Again, a brilliant time at Derby. You get to Premiership via the playoffs. So what was your time like at Derby? Well, again, you, you, leave, uh, you leave Preston and, believe it or not, I'd agreed to join Charlton. Uh, in the Premier League just after Alan Cubbisley I came in an agreement uh, with uh, the board at that time uh, and when I got home uh, I spoke to Derby County and one or two other clubs and I made a football decision not a financial decision because financially uh, the Charlton offer was much better but I made a football decision I felt that the Derby County challenge was a good challenge blank sheet of paper you know there was, there was a great willingness to get to the Premier League over a three year period and I decided that Charlton, for me and my staff, would be the kind of challenge that we needed. Uh, sadly, Mikey, it came, the promotion came two years too early. Uh, we weren't quite ready for the Premier League. You never refuse it, of course. Uh, the plan was clear. Three-year plan, top mid-table, first year, top ten second, and of course promotion third. But after 11 months, here we are. Standing at Wembley in the bright lights, in the bright lights, ready to go for the richest game of football, the richest game in world football, and uh, again, it was a, a wonderful experience and a great memory. Brilliant, another big club, eh? Derby. The history again with Derby with, with Clough, and we'll go on to obviously Forest with Clough. Yeah, huge, huge club, a huge stadium, uh, training ground was exceptional, big fan base, big expectation. Again, you've got Brian Clough crammed down your throat just to remind you of the great times in the past and the Arthur Coxes, the famous Arthur Cox at that time. So you step into these clubs and you know what's expected and you know the expectation and you know the challenge you've got. But I've got to say, Mikey, it's something that's always excited me. You know, I go in there with great confidence that we can turn that around and do what we do. And it was a great challenge. Unfortunately, as I said... Uh, when we got to the Premier League sadly became an, a, a selling club an outgoing board uh, and when you go into the Premier League you need that commitment 
at the top level, at, at the top of the club, you need that support. And unfortunately, as an outgoing board, uh, their agenda and our agenda became slightly different. It's important, I'm guessing, as a management team to have a board and management team that communicate well, get on well, agree on decisions. That must be so massive for a, for you as a manager at any club. To, to be a success, you need to be all on the same page, don't you? Well, the, difficult, the difficulty from their point of view, and you've always got to stand in other people's shoes, I think. You know, you've got to sit sometimes and think what it's like to be a reporter, what's it like to be a manager, what's it like to be a director, a sporting director, whatever it may be, you've got to try a kit man, you've got to try and sometimes stand in people's shoes. Now, unfortunately, the Derby board decided that they would cash in. That's their prerogative, that's up to them. And uh, sadly for me as a manager and the players and the staff and the supporters, unfortunately for us, you know, when we first joined the club, the agreement was if we did get to the Premier League, we would be a competitive Premier League club. I understand the decisions and goalposts move. And unfortunately, uh, we worked in very difficult conditions where it was an outgoing board, a new board was coming in to bring in their own people. And I'm telling you now, Mikey, I only visited the Premier League. I wasn't in the Premier League because uh, there was never a, never a chance to have a real go at the Premier League because of obviously the agenda that was there and what was taking Aye, place out with your control eh? yeah. so you leave Derby and you go to Nottingham Forest uh, you have five years over two spells there and I mentioned them earlier it's a massive club Forest different uh, type of club uh, Forest is much more traditional Derby is very cosmetic a very cosmetic stadium very cosmetic training ground Forest is more traditional. It's got that history around history. The still the same. Right. Still the same boot room and the same corridors that the, the famous Brian Clough walked in. Uh, but another one, huge club, lovely training ground, uh, a more old-fashioned type stadium. Back then, uh, huge support worldwide and uh, big expectation. And again, uh, thoroughly enjoyed my time uh, both times uh, at. Forest and some great memories. It, it must be, I always think this for any Nottingham Forest manager, it must be a nightmare in a way because you've always got that spell under cloth, the European Cups and the success. It's always hanging over a manager, isn't it, at that club? Even the dugouts, Mikey, you, you sit in the technical area and the dugouts, so you have to get down and you sit down and, and it's still the same. It's still the same dugouts, you remember, where Cluffy jumped out and slapped the boy in the face yeah. on the touchline. <laughs> and you, and you, it's still the same situation. So, you know, and, and even walking in the front door at the city ground, sometimes I felt like booting that statue of his face off of that, that kind of little podium thing, you know, but it just reminds you of the famous players that they had, the famous uh, European successes, the wonderful sides of of the the you know the team that they had and all the great players that they had, and um, it certainly was a joy, particularly in the first my first time. It was a joy first of all saving them relegation and then taking them to two playoffs, and it was a joy uh, watching uh, and working with the players and the staff and the board at that time. Very 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 successful time. Quite a special club. Eh? When the fans are singing that Malkin tire at pre pre kick off as well, it must be goosebumps. That it's a joy it's because it, it really does. It, it, it rocks the place, and uh, it is a it's a famous song as you know. And when it's sang at full voice, and there's thirty two thousand, thirty four thousand in there, then it certainly does send shivers down the, the back of your neck. Brilliant. You see, with the Derby and Forest thing, it's a big Derby, obviously. They, they don't like each other, eh? So what, what were the games like? 
Manager against vice versa. Probably more petty than than the old firm here. Right. I mean, real hatred, real, real. And I know there's hatred in Rangers and Celtic, uh, but there's a different type. Be Darby and Forest, and uh, you know they, they certainly hate each other. Mm-hmm. Uh, like poisonous. Yeah, I would think. I, I would say it is. Yeah, I would say there certainly is, uh, and it's it's you know it's difficult to explain, Mikey, but. You know, sometimes you just look at it and you think to yourself, oh my God, I didn't realise this was quite as, as venomous. Mm-hmm. And it certainly is. I mean, you go, and when Derby come to the city ground or when Forrest go to Pride Park, then it's a real cauldron of, of pressure. And there certainly is plenty toxic uh, yeah. um, emotions in there. What's that like as a manager now? Say the week building up to a derby, obviously it means so much to the supporters. Do you approach that different as a manager? Like, are you speaking to the players more about we need to get one over derby or not a forest? Or how do you approach that? It's just, I'll be honest, Mikey, it becomes just another game. You've got to just, as I said, prepare properly. You've got to keep the players and staff relaxed and focused and you prepare for the game and you know what you're going into every game whether it's Millwall away or whether it's uh, West Brom at West Brom you, you know you know what you're stepping into you know about the stadium you know about the support what type of support you know you know you know what these clubs traditionally are all about so when you're preparing for this derby match derby forest or forest derby then you've got to just try and Keep the mind on the game. Be focused and Be, relaxed. Keep the focus, keep it relaxed, and make sure that we're not getting overhyped and we're not going to come out there like like two kickboxers. Aye, if you're you know, too emotional, eh? Yeah, we've got to make sure that our preparation is key and we've got to play our style of play and try and, try and force our qualities on them. And I think that's a, a big factor for managers in, in getting into these types of games. Mm-hmm. What grounds did you like going to when you were managing down south? Oh, there was lots of very West. I love West Ham. West Ham was a, a the old Upton Park. Oh, it was an exciting place to go. West Brom was a great place to go. Sunderland. Uh, I took plenty of stick at Millwall. I've got to say, that must be a fans. tough place to go. <laughs> oh, and I've got to say the Mill the Millwall fans uh, were were hilarious, Mikey. Uh, and and I'll never forget going to Millwall. And when you walk out of the tunnel at Millwall, you take a left. And then you walk up about 10 yards and the, the, the dugout's just there. But over that dugout is all the kind of, if you want to call the die-hard Millwall fans. And I remember stepping out of the, technic, the, 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 the kind of tunnel area, making I just took a left. And the next minute, all the Millwall fans to my left started singing, Hi-ho! <laughs> <laughs> and I swear to God, I joined in with you the song. You just got to have a laugh, eh? And I started walking down, Mikey. <laughs> I started walking down trackside. And they were singing the Hi-ho song. And of course, I was giving it step by step. Hi-ho! Hi-ho! <laughs> and it was hilarious. Absolutely hilarious. And, uh, That's you, the best way to... Engage with you've that, got isn't to, it? You've you've got to react to it. Like, to be fair point. to the Millwall fans, when I done that and I joined in with them and I, I, I kind of gave that funny walk, and of course they were in full chant. Once they stopped, they all came down to the technical and they were all saying to me, Billy, listen, absolutely fantastic. Class, eh? That was great, great stuff, brother. So you've got to do that because every stadium, whether it's Reading at Reading or even at Preston, you go to Preston, you go to Derby, you go to Forest, Plymouth away, they've all got their own crowd, mm. they've all got their own kind of a atmosphere and of course you've just got to prepare for 
it's the dishes that they've had and the, the kind of environment you walk into. So keeping in management, you had, well, so far you've had 478 games in management with a 40.8% win ratio. So just speaking a bit about management, how would you describe your style of management? Uh, I remember Darren Moore saying to me, uh, after the, the Wembley win, and Darren Moore was a vastly experienced player, and the one thing that he said to me, he thanked me for my transparency. Because when I first went in, I, I pulled Muro aside and I said to him, we need to up your training sessions. You know, Stephen Bywater, I'd words with him. Michael, Michael Johnson, I'd words with him. And the, I think the great thing and the very great compliment that I got was from Darren Muro when he said to me that my trans- transparency to the players and my honesty to the players was something that they, they respected greatly. And uh, there was never any disrespect. But I had to be honest, I had to be transparent. And I would say that in my man's management to skills, might is probably my strength. So important man management, eh? There's so many managers you hear about that who maybe are great tacticians, are great in the training ground, but they don't have that personal touch, they don't have that relationship with players. I think it's a balance and a blend. You you you, you know, you can't always you have sometimes you know, I used to have experienced players saying to me, Gaffer, you need to come in at half time and give the players a rollicking because every time you've done it we'll be out in the second half and perform so there, there is a place to go in at half time and, and you know have a raise your voice and have a go at one or two but at the same time too you've got to be there's a different style of management required now players are different and uh, young players are certainly different so you've got to get that balance Mikey and make sure that, it's, that you pick and choose the right moments to be the soft touch or the other end of the skill you've got to get in there and you've got to be uh, that very strong leader yeah. that's, that's basically shaking the place up and it's like you said to me earlier about psychology as well in the game now approaching that it's totally different eh well you've got to I tell the famous story that uh, I remember getting in at half time at the city ground and saying to Wes Morgan I'm going to pick a fight with you I'm going to come at you I want you to come at me and let's let's get the whole place diving for cover so and Wes and I went in and I went for Wes's throw and of course Wes stood up six foot five up the way Six foot five across the way, <laughs> and here's this five foot six guy. Uh, I'd be a, from Glasgow. Right, right, that's the difference, Mikey. He balled it, as you can imagine. But, but no, so you've got to play games sometimes. You've got to try and motivate people, and, and they all know they all, all, the, all the guys, and that's why I've got great today. I've got great contacts with players and staff. Speaking to the bus driver that I've had for a long time at press, and still chatting to secretaries and and all sorts of people, ground staff at the club and the clubs that have been at still great contacts Mikey because as I said to you right at the start of the show I don't forget where I come from I know what it's like being brought up in Glasgow with a humble mother and father that are fighting are, are, are working hand to mouth week in week out so you've got to treat people the right way but at the same time too you've got to be a strong manager when you need to be but at the same time too you've got to be sympathetic and you've got to understand that everybody's different yeah, 100%. And we mentioned him earlier, Alex Ferguson. He had the same approach, didn't he? He knew the girl on reception's name, the tea lady, the guys in the kit room. knew everybody. Said good morning to everybody as well. It was so important, wasn't it? Very, very. He was He was obviously, Alec, in a different era. If you remember the great Aberdeen side, you know, that was a real tough side with the, with the Strakens and the McLeishes and the McGees and the Eric Blacks and the Doogie Rugby's. You know, these guys were, they, they Aberdeen at that point, uh, driven by Fergie's if you like hard-nosed approach uh, that's what made them successful and and to be fair to Alec uh, Alec in his early days 
didn't hold back. He was more kind of iron fisted, and back then you could you could you could get away with it a lot more than you could today. And I'm sure if Ali managed today, I'm sure Ali would say that he would also need to change today and yep. do things slightly different. Totally. How did you handle pressure as a manager? I enjoyed it, to be honest, Mikey. I, I, I enjoyed. Uh, you, you, listen, when you buy the ticket, you know what to expect. I know it. You know what this game's all about. You know what it's all about on the pitch, off the pitch. You know what you're dealing with with the expectation. Uh, you know the games you're going into. You know the stage of the season, and the pressure changes when you're on a five-game win. Then you know that the big blue sky's there. But when you're on a three-game, four-game, five-game loss, then you know that the vultures are hovering. So you, you know what to expect, but you've just got to prepare well. You've got to be true to yourself and the people you work with, and you've got to stick to your beliefs and continue to do the best you can. Has there been a player over your career that is touted as the next big thing, and everybody's super excited about this? Player and then all of a sudden it just doesn't work out for them. So any of that's stuck I would out say, for you? yeah, I think there's two players that jump out at me. Uh, a boy called Giles Barnes at Derby County, young boy. Barnes was a very powerful, very quick, very strong, very talented. Sadly, picked up a bad injury. But Barnes, Giles Barnes is a player that could have went all the way to the top, and, and unfortunately, he picked up this injury. I think he eventually went to America, played in America. But an excellent player, a wonderful talent, and somebody that I think if he hadn't picked up that injury and got that little bit of break, he could have been sensational. The other one I would say to you is that Forrest, a boy called Lewis McGugan, a real, again, different type of player for Barnsley, uh, probably more technical, not as strong and quick and powerful, but uh, excellent set piece taker, uh, wonderful technical player. And a player that I think this lad probably should have went higher uh, if he had got the, the right breaks and found himself at the right place at the right time. And these two young boys certainly were a joy to work with, very talented, but uh, certainly could have went a lot higher than what they did. Brilliant. What advice would you give to someone who's maybe starting out in coaching and, and wants to move into to management? You can read as many books as you like and you can watch as many podcasts or listen to many podcasts and watch as many videos. Uh, and you always certainly have to be a, a, I feel like a student of the game but you've got to stick by your own principles your own beliefs and don't be afraid to make those strong decisions certainly be a good listener listen to your staff but ultimately you've got to make strong decisions and you've got to show the club that you're capable of, of standing on your own two feet and making those decisions but at the same time too be that student of the game keep learning keep educating keep doing the courses and uh, keep listening and keep keep in contact with many different people and get advice but make your own choices brilliant mate superb advice who's been your best ever signing? Uh, I would probably say to you a boy called David Nugent was a wonderful signing played for England didn't he? played Got for England Nugent yeah uh, he scored actually that's right uh, David Eugene at Preston was a real pleasure. Quick, strong, great finisher, great lad, scouser, never a dull moment, very funny, uh, good personality. I think we bought him for around about the 99,000 mark. 
I think the club eventually sold him for over six million. So I've got to say that uh, he was a great investment, and Preston got a great return for him and a, a wonderful talent, uh, a real street boy. But every day he came in, he also had a story to tell, and he was a, a pleasure. What? Superb. What's your thoughts on football today and how it's changed, especially from your playing days, for example? No hiding place, Mikey. No hiding place because now, whether it's inside the club with the heart monitors, the sports science you've got to deal with, the video analysis you've got to deal with, you're playing all the games and every game is now Sky Sports with 20 different cameras at different places. And now all of a sudden there's no hiding place. And the difference now is your preparation and how you conduct yourself, how you behave, how you prepare. I think that's a big difference. Back then, Mikey, when I first started, as you said, with sports team, Scott Sport, whatever it was back yeah. then. And uh, you had the newspapers that reported in the games. There wasn't any social media. So there's now a different approach and, and you've got to be very, very aware that you're under scrutiny 24-7. And... Uh, your preparation and how you go about things has got to be spawn. What's your thoughts on social media? It's here, it's here. And uh, uh, sadly for me, uh, I got involved. I, I was at, I think, Forest when this first kicked off. So uh, it's a good place for people to hide, as you know. It's a good place to tell half-truths or to spin stories and yarns and not have to if you like justify with facts and it allows people it allows people to come out there and and abuse the situation and it is, it's, you've just got to accept that anybody that thinks they can believe a word of social media are living in cuckoo land and you've just got to accept it's here it's a nice place for the killers to stay and spend their time and uh, it's a nice place for them to come out and spread nonsense and never have to justify Yeah, it's very easy. It's a dangerous world. Very. What's your thoughts on VAR? I think it's a, I think it's nonsense. I think uh, the VAR is now proven to be a failed system. Uh, I don't think it's good for the game. I don't think it's good for the fans. I don't think it's. I think it's proven already uh, that it's not working. And uh, the quicker they take it away, make it the better because. Ultimately, referees are human and make mistakes. They can get it wrong. Uh, the same way as, as, you know, I do believe in goal line technology. I think that's important. But certainly the, the VAR system uh, and how, how they've tried to introduce it, I certainly think the quicker they get rid of it, the better. It's taking the fun out of the game, eh? You see players now, they score a goal and they, they feel like they can't even celebrate because they think it's just going to go to the VAR. Well, you can't celebrate. You'd be stupid to celebrate, but you can't help your emotions. It just takes over. And uh, we took that lovely feeling of watching the ball hit the back of the net and then running away with your teammates and celebrating. Now all of a sudden you've got to stop and you've got to think, is this going to VAR? And uh, No, I'll make it... Look, it doesn't work. Let's not be kidded here. It's not good. And I understand why it was brought in. I understand what they tried to achieve from it. But it's like everything. People make mistakes. People make decisions. And we've just got to allow referees and people like that to be in that position on that day and to call what they've seen. And sometimes they will get it wrong. And the quicker we get back to that, 
for me the better now, that was an important part of the game that eh? it gave supporters something to chat about even though you'd be frustrated maybe you might have got a penalty the boys are way back to the pub to talk about the game and now that's just gone now but remember uh, we used to say didn't we over the season it'll work for and work against you and of it course did. Yeah. so sometimes the, the human error will work against you but, but as the season goes on the human error falls on your side so it was always a case of you know working and balancing balancing itself out over the season so uh, no I think uh, hopefully Mikey they come to some common sense and they, they take it back to where it, where it was can you see that happening with the money that's been involved in it well it's difficult because you and I don't know what's involved contractually and financially and we really don't know what's behind this Mikey but certainly from a football point of view, from a fan point of view, from a player point of view, and then of course coaches and so on, then let's hope it, it gets scrapped and it goes away. But certainly, whether it can be done from a financial point of view or, or a, you know, a, a, another point of view that we, you and I don't know, then uh, we'll just have to wait and see. Brilliant. Fingers crossed, mate. Last couple of questions. Who has been the biggest influence in your career? Um... I would say to you that Dave Sexton played a huge part on my love for management. I watched this guy work and the way he spoke to people, the, the imagination that he had, uh, the way that he worked with his players, very, very clever. Preparation was excellent. And just as a young player, I always kind of liked this guy. This guy always struck me. And then, of course, there's two other people I would say, my dad certainly, uh, with the amount of support that he gave me through my playing career and then of course the management my dad played a huge part uh, by getting me the boots and the strips at Christmas taking me out into the, the grass and working in football getting me the ball and you know my dad my mum my and dad certainly my dad played a huge part and of course I had a great mentor Mikey a guy who was chief scout at Manchester United for 50 odd years a guy called Jimmy Dickie uh, Jimmy's the one that took me down to Manchester United when I was kind of 12, 13 years of age we would travel back and forth to Manchester every school holiday and we would go down there and spend days and weeks down there uh, we'd talk lots he would educate me lots sadly I made the, the wrong choice through uh, homesickness it was a bad mistake not going to Manchester United but we did remain friends through my management and through my, my coaching up to the point where Jimmy eventually passed away sadly but what he taught me he, you know the, the, the things he would tell me about the signings he made the Brian McClairs the Gordon McQueens the Martin Buckins the Gordon Strackens how he would watch them home and away and what he would look for as a, as a proper scout who travelled all over the country home and away and watched these guys over dozens and dozens of games so I'd say these three people Sexton Dave Sexton my father uh, Billy Davis and of course uh, my great mentor Jimmy Dickey these three played a huge part on uh, my joy and my love for this game Super mate just another uh, quick question Matt. What, what would you look for in a player in recruitment? Well it's difficult uh, because when you go through the side uh, you join a club Mikey and there's, a, there's lots of strengths and some weaknesses in your side and you've got to sit down and decide what kind of character first of all you need the right character in your team the, the personality is very important uh, you bring in first of all a first class human being that's important somebody that's going to come into the club and uh, be that right type of person that you want to bring in 
Then, of course, you look at the position, you look at the strength, whether it be the pace or the, the technical side or the, the size or the speed, whatever it may be. And you sit down and you try and put together this jigsaw puzzle. And you can only do that once you're inside a, a training ground, watching these players day in, day out. And then, of course, looking at the team performances. And then you can start to strategize on what type of player you need, what strengths you want to bring to the side. And then, of course, more importantly, do you want to bring in a, a quiet one or do you want to bring somebody that's going to shape the dress up with that personality and kind of camaraderie? So you've just got to um, look at it, but look at it very carefully and look at it over a period of time. Brilliant. Final question, what's next for Billy Davis? What's next? Mikey, I said to you earlier, earlier on, uh, I got a little bit disenchanted way back, around about the 214 mark. I then found myself involved in some serious family illnesses that I had to overcome and sort out. I've spent the last number of years, as I said to you, uh, Liverpool University, a year took me in a diploma in football management. I decided then to look at all sorts of uh, women's football, disabled football, men, you know, mental health, psychology, first aid, etc., uh, etc. Et I, I re-educated myself on all the continued personal development. And you get to a point, Mikey, well, you just know it's time to get back. The passion's back. The focus is back. The energy's back. And I'm now ready to go, Mikey. I'm ready to go. I can't wait for the next chapter. I can't wait for the next challenge. And uh, I'm looking forward to stepping back onto that training ground with the boots and the tracksuit on. And uh, working with players, working with staff, and hopefully seeing some joy in the fans' faces again. Brilliant. Well, hopefully we'll see you back in the game soon, Billy. And it's, uh, again, been a pleasure sitting down and have a chat with you. Mikey, it's been a pleasure. Thanks very much for your time. And uh, as, as you know, looking back at my old club, I wish them well. I watch them and watch the result every week. Uh, as I said to you, I was nearly there last week, last Friday, to watch their game. I certainly will pick up one or two of their games over the next number of months. And I wish them well and I wish everybody at the club. Well, let us know when you're coming back. Oh. Warm, warm welcome back to East End Park. Top man, thanks very much for your time. Remember to subscribe to Walking Down the Holbeath Road on your favourite podcast platform. Producer of this podcast was Jan Mokiewicz and music was supplied by Stuart Dusty Miller. Thank you for listening to this episode with Billy Davis. Sure you'll agree it was a fascinating insight into his career and his life in football. Finally, we would like to wish you all a very Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year when it comes and we'll be walking down the Holbeath Road with another former pa next month. <laughs>